Welcome back to the Diet Doctor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Schur. Now, I don't say this often, but this is probably my least favorite interview ever, and it's with Dom Diagostino. So how is that possible? Because we were on a time constraint. Here we are at the Metabolic Health Summit, and he had to run downstairs to give his talk. We got started a little late, and I think he is one of the most interesting people in science. I want to have a two- or three-hour interview with him, but we had to cut it short. But we, we touched on some really interesting topics about the work he's doing with ketogenic diets and exogenous ketones on brain function, how his work in extreme environments can translate to kind of regular um, disease processes that aren't in extreme environments that people get and we need some better treatments for, and how ketones can play a role in the specifics of the types of diet, the specific types of exogenous ketones, um, some of the protein-sparing effects of ketones. So we, we brush the surface and talk about some of these topics, but my hope is we're going to have them back for even more interviews in the future. But hopefully this will be a great introduction for you to Dr. Dom Diagostino, all the amazing work he's doing, and get a little sense of the personality because he's really a great guy, and I hope to hear more from him. All right, let's get started with the interview with Dr. Dom Diagostino. <laughs> Dr. Dom, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. I really appreciate you being here. And I know you've got some time constraints because here we are at the Metabolic Health Summit where you are one of the organizers and speakers and you're taking time out of your day to come for this Diet Doctor podcast interview. So thank you. And I want to start, if we can, with your name. So first of all, with your name, you've reached the status of Prince and Madonna of being known by just one name, Dom, and everybody knows who you're talking about. But Diagostino, hmm? when I hear Diagostino, I think lots of pasta in your upbringing. And now here you are as one of the most preeminent ketogenic diet and ketone researchers. So how did you make the transition from an Italian pasta family, assuming that assumption is right, to where you are today? Yeah, my mom was traumatized when I couldn't eat, go home and eat pasta yeah. for the holiday. Uh, well, I, uh, I started my postdoctoral fellowship uh, that was funded by the Navy, and they were interested in understanding uh, oxygen toxicity seizures, which I'll be talking today about that. And that is an extreme environment. And the military, uh, Navy in particular, the major branch that we work with, uh, they're interested in, in enhancing the safety and the resilience and performance of the military personnel under particular environments. And what I have spent most of my time developing unique technologies to understand these environments, uh, microscopy and, and you know telemetry and different things like that in hyperbaric chambers. Uh, and as we developed these technologies and understood the biological process of oxygen toxicity, we realized that getting the body and in particular feeding the brain ketones or elevating your blood ketone levels would provide uh, metabolic resilience in an extreme environment that could help the brain function uh, and most importantly prevent a seizure under these extreme environments or delay the onset to that seizure above and beyond what we could achieve with any pharmaceutical compound, which was my main focus, uh, drug research. But right, so you I, started off as a drug research, and yeah, then we're, yeah, you were able to much. make the transition to the nutritional and then mm -hmm. the exogenous supplement of ketones mm -hmm. to do better than any drug. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Well, there's a couple drugs that can delay oxygen toxicity seizures, like gabatrin and, and other anticonvulsant drugs. These drugs have side effects. And the military did some research on fasting rats uh, for 24 or 36 hours, and it showed a remarkable delay in the onset of oxygen toxicity seizures. 
So that that really interested me, and I was like, well, how is fat? I didn't know anything about fasting and seizures at the time, or even the ketogenic diet. Surprisingly, I went through a nutrition program at Rutgers University in New Jersey, and we didn't really talk about the ketogenic diet, at least uh, its clinical applications. So in the process of trying to develop an anti-seizure neuroprotective strategy for oxygen toxicity, I went into the epilepsy research and I was also connected with people like Mike Dancer, who's a patient, an epilepsy patient who was diagnosed with terminal epilepsy. And at the time I got into this, uh, advised that he perhaps use a ketogenic diet, worked remarkably well for him. I connected with Johns Hopkins and other people who actually used the ketogenic diet clinically. And it became apparent that the ketogenic diet could potentially be used for these very powerful tonic-clonic seizures that, right. that, the, that limits Navy SEAL operations because of the special rebreather unit you know, that they use. So if it helps mm-hmm. seizures in general, probably would work for a, a mm-hmm. seizure in that extreme environment as well. Yes, uh, uh, seizures can result from over, I think, up to 300 different. The etiology of epilepsy is largely unknown, Mm. and there are many seizure disorders that we just don't know what causes the seizure. Uh, But the ketogenic diet tends to work for the majority, many seizure types, actually the majority, independent of the etiology, and that always interested me. So it had more likely to work with these kinds of seizures. Uh, the Office of Navy Research, they were not very keen on a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet uh, as part of a, a warfighter strategy for enhancing performance. So at the time, Jeff Volek's work really wasn't popular yet. And uh, it was a hard sell for, for them, in particular, to fund a project. So they were like, well, why don't you come up with a ketogenic diet in a pill? And this was 2008, and by coincidence, Dr. Jung Ro, who was at Barrow Neurological Institute at the time, just happened to publish a review called The Ketogenic Diet in the Pill. And it talked about, you know, uh, the epilepsy world is trying to find something that could mimic the ketogenic diet because it works better than any anti-epileptic drug that we have right now. And, and he talked about exogenous ketones and, and the potential for that. So I got steered into... Um, Dr. Richard Veach and some work being done at, by, in Oxford by Kieran Clark. And uh, Dr. Veach was a student of Hans Krebs and has a, a, a very well-respected biochemist and that, that developed and had his whole life was really studying ketones. So it was interesting to me that these very high-level scientists were studying the therapeutic applications of ketones. Maybe it wasn't in the in the public domain at the time, but I, I saw that DARPA had funded uh, quite a bit of money in the millions of dollars to develop these ketone uh, as for warfighter performance. So I was like, okay, there's there's a potential ketogenic agent that I could use for seizures, and it and you know DARPA is funding it for performance. So let me see if it works in our seizure model. Surprisingly, it didn't, uh, and this was a beta hydroxybutyrate monoester. But then I connected with folks, uh, Henry Bruninggraber uh, from Case Western and, and other chemists who could synthesize the compounds for me and uh, tried a number of agents. And the one agent that elevated beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate, uh, we discovered that that was remarkably neuroprotective. So interesting that you didn't give up at the first. No, the first no, one didn't. Give up. So some yeah. people probably would have said, "Ah, ketones don't work. Forget it." Mm-hmm. But you kept going. So, and that brings up the point that not all ketones are the same. 
<laughs> levels may matter. The specific individual ketones matter. And Absolutely. so that, that can also get confusing when we talk about even you know taking exogenous ketones for different reasons because all the products aren't the same. So yeah. it can make it confusing for the individual in terms of what, what is doing the benefit? What is the key that's actually helping from a neurological standpoint? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the research that we've done, at least in preclinical animal models, suggests that uh, there will be unique ketogenic strategies for different applications. Obviously, I think it'll be different for type 2 diabetes than epilepsy, than exercise performance. Uh, we, in our hands, and it wasn't really talked about much in the performance uh, session, it just came from and moderated, but we find that when certain compounds are mixed together, then you get optimal effects. You take ketone salts, mix them with ketone esters, and mixing ketogenic fats with ketone salts or ketone esters also seems to enhance the response. If you ingest a purely exogenous ketone, it's my belief, and I think some data will support this, that you're turning off your own ketone production mm -hmm. to some extent. But if you mix a ketogenic fat like medium-chain triglycerides with a ketone ester and deliver orally, it simultaneously stimulates your own endogenous ketone production because uh, you're, you're producing hepatic uh, ketogenesis by, for MCTs, for, for example. And it also uh, delays gastric absorption and extends that pharmacokinetic profile of that ketogenic agent so it's elevated longer in the blood. So a different scenario. So you've got the exogenous and the endogenous mm -hmm. working together as opposed to the, the sort of scenario that I think some people promote that may not be as helpful mm -hmm. is eat whatever you want and just drink these ketones and you'll be in keto, and you'll be in ketosis. So yeah. it's not quite that simple, right? Yeah, I think, you know, certain companies, if they have, if they're vested in a, in a particular compound, they're, they kind of just show, well, you eat this way and take this compound. But I think we, we don't study any particular compound. We study many different compounds. Right. <laughs> and uh, at this point, about 60. So uh, there are different agents that have proven through our publications to be efficacious for certain things. Uh, but what we're finding now is taking a step back and starting to formulate ketogenic strategies or ketogenic formulations uh, for specific applications. And I kind of think that's that's the future. We're really at the cusp uh, of, of, you know, figuring these things out and we have a long way to go. Uh, but we have started, you know, moving things into human clinical trials, which I'll be talking about today, actually, uh, some of the work we're doing at Duke, who's Great. a collaborator of mine. Yeah. So how do we make the jump then from, you know, deep water oxygen toxicity seizures to Alzheimer's disease, traumatic brain injury, strokes, just sort of neurological healing from these other disorders when they all have seemingly different mechanisms um, behind the disease. Is a ketone, mm -hmm. you know, a magic bullet that's going to work for all of them, potentially? No, I, I, I believe that we have a lot to learn from the epilepsy world. And I think the, the ketogenic diet community really should focus on that, what has been established already uh, in the epilepsy world, because they're sort of much farther along as in regards to, you know, peer reviewed publications and a consensus as to what a ketogenic diet is and how to implement it. Um, but we know with epilepsy, uh, the ketogenic diet the mechanisms are largely unknown. Uh, if I mentioned the top four, one would be it's, it's enhancing brain energy metabolism and contributing to brain homeostasis and balancing uh, energy. Uh, the areas of the brain may be deficient in glucose metabolism, glucose hypometabolism. 
So some sort of injury to the brain makes it so it can't metabolize the glucose as well. So then the ketone provides an alternative fuel source. Is that? Uh, we think that that could be part of it. And for mm. some people, it definitely is. Yeah. Um, and there's also an imbalance of neurotransmitters with most people who have epilepsy. If you're to measure, you know, uh, glutamate, glutamate levels and even animal models show this. Um, so the ratio of glutamate to GABA uh, goes down. So glutamate's uh, an excitatory amino acid uh, neurotransmitter, and it can lead to hyperexcitability that can lead to seizures. And when you're on a ketogenic diet, for reasons we don't completely understand, it activates an enzyme called glutamic acid decarboxylase. And that uh, converts uh, glutamate, a hyperactivity enzyme, uh, stimulatory uh, neurotransmitter to GABA, which is uh, an inhibitory brain-stabilizing neurotransmitter that, from a neuroscience perspective, hyperpolarizes the membrane potential of neurons and quiets the brain down. So it takes the brain from a hyperexcitable state to a more mm -hmm. relaxed state. Yes. And if you have areas of the brain that are damaged, for example, with TBI or other a neurological disease, most neurological diseases are pathophysiologically linked to glutamate dysregulation. So there's excess glutamate is causing membrane potential depolarization and hyperactivity. Uh, a ketogenic strategy, and this has been shown with the diet and now with supplementation, uh, converts more of that glutamate to GABA. And that can be not only anticonvulsant, but also neuroprotective. So whether it's so, seizures or mm -hmm. whether it's trauma or mm -hmm. even a stroke, there is sort of, it sounds like there is this underlying pathophysiology of the hyperexcitability. Yeah, so oh, even that's though well established. Even though yep. they're very dis different disease processes, the underlying mm -hmm. injury or a response to injury is similar. So therefore, the ketogenic diet, by being able to make this transition from glutamate to GABA, can be beneficial mm -hmm. for all of them. Yep. And two other mechanisms, but there's like a dozen, would be adenosine A1 receptor signaling the adenosine receptor, when it's activated, quiets and stabilizes neurotransmission. And uh, I think I mentioned that briefly in my talk coming up, and also inflammation. Uh, systemic inflammation typically leads to neuroinflammation. This could be triggered by foods that cause an autoimmune reaction. It could be triggered by stress, an environmental toxin. We know that ketones are remarkably anti-inflammatory. Uh, and... Uh, Inflammation in the brain can lead to anxiety. Uh, inflammation in the brain can lead to seizures. Inflammation in the brain can lead to headaches. Uh, ketone bodies do have a remarkable anti-inflammatory effect that uh, we've just published a paper on that in animal models. And we can use things like LPS, lipopolysaccharide, to stimulate that inflammation. Uh, so... You know, and then your gut microbiome, you can get into other things, but I just mentioned four things, brain energy metabolism, uh, neurotransmitters, adenosine receptor signaling, and, uh, and inflammation are, are four things that we know. We have really good preclinical animal model work to demonstrate that being in a state of ketosis alters these things and in a way that would be uh, neuroprotective and anti-convulsant. Anti so when we talk about using either a ketogenic diet or exogenous ketones, it, it does pay to sort of be more specific because a ketogenic diet can be the, the traditional four to one 
um, four times as much protein as glucose, sorry, four times as much fat as protein and and, uh, carbohydrates combined, Mm -hmm. which is sort of like the classical ketogenic diet for treating seizures, Mm -hmm. but kind of not what is the most popular ketogenic diet now. That's probably more the modified Atkins diet. So when you're talking about a ketogenic diet for neurologic protection, does it matter the specific type of diet and does the degree of ketone elevation matter as well, do you think? Yeah, it definitely matters. What we're not fully confident about is how much it matters, but um, Eric Kossoff uh, from Johns Hopkins published on the modified Atkins diet. I just call it modified ketogenic diet because Atkins kind of gets a bad name. But but it, it... that diet is now used for adult epilepsy and children who are on a classical ketogenic diet, which would be like the four to one ratio, 90% fat, it ends up being. Uh, many many of the, the patients can transfer to a modified ketogenic approach, which is more liberal in protein. And just making a diet more liberal in protein, for example, from 10% to 20%, that, that's a very big change and it makes the diet much more feasible for the parents and uh, it's a quality of life thing. And r- remarkably now, we, we realize that the diet doesn't have to be as strict as we once thought it was. And you can also incorporate uh, into the diet fats that are ketogenic, like medium chain triglycerides, and get the same level of ketosis that you would, for example, with a classical, a more restrictive ketogenic diet. So our minds are changing about this and... Um, New studies are starting to come out. I chaired the American Epilepsy Society Special Interest Group on Dietary Therapies, where it's more of a mainstream conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, and evidence is starting to accumulate that, that a, a more modified ketogenic diet approach may be uh, advantageous uh, for compliance and maybe even efficacy too. So. All right. Very good. Well, gosh, having you here is a bit of a torture since you're on a time constraint because I have so many other things that I want to get into with you. But I think the future certainly seems very bright for using uh, ketogenic diets and even exogenous ketones for treating neurologic disease. But where do we stand right now in terms of the um, where the science is in terms of animals versus humans and how far out are we from having solid evidence to say this is something we can use? Mm-hmm. Well, um you know, the animal data, and I've been, yeah, I'm an academic scientist, so a lot of time and effort is spent doing preclinical animal model work. Uh, unlike animal models, for example, cancer, uh, which don't always translate, I think they're informative, uh, animals, animal models for cancer, but not always predictive. Whereas for epilepsy and seizure models, uh, historically, the animal models for seizure have been informative and predictive. So uh, that gives me a little bit of confidence. What we're seeing in the lab will translate into uh, human clinical trials, which we have now for Angelman syndrome, a registered clinical trial. One be starting up for epilepsy. Uh, we have one I'll be talking about today uh, using nutritional ketosis to enhance uh, uh, neuroprotection in extreme environments, which would be high oxygen uh, environment. And we do this in a lab. Uh, at, at Duke University. I was actually amazed that it got approved by the IRB yeah. because it's a rather extreme protocol that I'll be presenting today. Uh, but we are, you know, diving subjects now uh, and implementing not only a ketogenic diet, but ketone supplementation. And that was really the vision I had like 10 years ago when I started seeing the animal model work. Uh, and it was very compelling, the, ne- the neuroproduction that we were seeing. So it's, it's very... Um, 
you know, satisfying to me that we're able to move things into the clinical realm with registered clinical trials now. But we do have a lot of work to do. And only the things that have been done now are mostly pilot studies where we're recruiting, you know, more subjects to do large scale uh, clinical trials and, and ultimately the multi-center clinical trials. And the, the, the direction to go, in, at least for now, is for epilepsy and seizure disorders because there's so much data already. Right. in that, but we're also uh, pushing to get some studies, uh, clinical trials for brain tumor patients too. Right. So that's very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Now to shift gears real quick, you mentioned about the protein mm-hmm. um, and there's, I've heard you say before that it's uh, ketones are anti-catabolic and mm-hmm. that they can be sort of muscle sparing. Can you give us just thir- sort of 30 seconds on, on that and what people can take away from that standpoint? Sure. Uh, so in the context of like calorie restriction or uh, cancer cachexia, which is a condition where there's a lot of muscle wasting occurring due to uh, a number of factors, uh, some of them being, you know, catabolic enzymes or, um, or just inflammatory processes. So in the context of, let's start with fasting, for example, when the, when you're not ingesting food, your body starts to break down and you start breaking down protein and fatty acids for fuel. Uh, when, when you've depleted your glycogen stores, you make proportionally more uh, ketone bodies uh, through the suppression of insulin. The hormone insulin uh, stimulates hepatic uh, fat oxidation and then you make more ketones. The ketone bodies uh, do largely replace glucose as a primary energy source during prolonged fasting, you know, after about a week or more. So they become uniquely anti-catabolic because they're simply supplying an energy source and that allows your body to spare uh, amino acids, uh, in particular gluconeogenic amino acids. So your body, your skeletal muscle will catabolize. Uh, if those ketone bodies were not there, we would waste away much faster. So that's well established. Dr. George Cahill uh, has written a number of nice reviews on that. Uh, so an, and, effective, mm-hmm. an effective in, intervention to help you maintain your lean body mass. Yeah. Uh, so that's I think that's important from a from a cachexia cancer treatment standpoint and also just sort of in general, especially mm-hmm. when you're talking about formulating the ketogenic diet properly yeah. for people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of interest and in, in some research now on ketones for performance. But I think that's really if there's one area of science where I think you're going to get just small results or minimal results, I think it would be performance. You know, when you ingest these things acutely before exercise, mm-hmm. I think where ketones will shine is prolonged use of ketones can help perhaps with adaptive effects of, of exercise training, perhaps in the context of a calorie deficit. Uh, but I think the anti-catabolic effects of ketones are pretty real, and I think the sciences will uh, sort of support that over time. From an evolutionary standpoint, we know that ketones really allow us to do uh, and maintain prolonged fasting. Yeah. Uh, and there are a number, my student Andrew Kutnick, uh, who was uh, just finished a PhD with me, his whole PhD project was basically studying the anti-catabolic effects of ketone bodies. And we wrote a review uh, published in Cell with uh, Dr. Brandon Egan that is an overview, uh, things that maybe we don't have time to get into, and it mechanistically goes through all the potential uh, anti-catabolic effects uh, that ketones can have. Yeah. Well, it, it pains me, but I think I have to let you go here because the, the clock says you have to be back downstairs for the, for the conference. Yeah. 
Um, I know you're very active on Twitter and Instagram where you show lots of videos of alligators in your backyard, which <laughs> freaks me out as a California guy, but, but also lots of your scientific endeavors. Um, you have a ton of information there. So where, do you, where can you direct people to find you to learn more about all the exciting things you're doing? Yeah, we try to compile everything on ketonutrition.org where uh, we have a blog and we have resources there. And, um, you know, I think it's, and people can learn more about us and what we do, you know, with the company. And our company is just mostly a research company now. We don't have any products per se, but uh, we do test products. And some of those products we have on the site too. People ask me about, you know, what ketone products to use. Uh, we've, uh, I, I do enjoy testing products and I also enjoy testing devices like breath acetone meters or blood ketone meters and use those uh those devices to test the products. So, uh, and that's a fun thing that I do and uh, kind of do it on my off time. I really, I like to do not only bench research, but also live this lifestyle and right. it's become sort of a passion of mine to do both. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sorry we have to let you go. Just promise <laughs> me you'll come back where we can talk more oh, in depth absolutely. and I want to know more, hear more about you and the way you live your life and all the exciting things you're doing. But thanks for taking the time. I really yeah, appreciate it. My pleasure.